Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Momming Autism podcast, where we are providing a positive platform for parents to share their stories about raising special needs children. We are your hosts, Amanda DeLuca and Katie MD, and today we are pleased to bring you an amazing friend and veteran autism mama, Kim McIsaac of Autism Adventures with Alyssa. Welcome, Kim, and thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Kim, would you please introduce yourself and give everyone a, an overview of your journey with autism? Because it kind of differs from Katie and I, as you've been um, in the game longer than we have with yes. us. Um, so my daughter, um, Alyssa, is 24. She has nonverbal autism. She was diagnosed um, back in 1998 when she was two years old. There was not very much awareness back then. Um, there was actually like zero awareness so obviously it was a much different time than it is now um plus she's a girl so you know there's not as many girls diagnosed and especially not then um so she had you know a lot of tough times we dealt with a lot of aggression sent a lot of sensory meltdowns um all that stuff um she as far as services we were pretty lucky uh so she was in early intervention already prior to her diagnosis so we already had were getting some services anyways um after she got diagnosed she went into um they recommended aba for her until she was old enough to start school which would have been at three she got that at the house uh nine hours a week it was a little bit of a rough go with that because she was very um non-compliant very stubborn um you know didn't obviously want somebody coming in and telling her what to do but it was kind of necessary for her to get her ready for school. Um, so she got in school. She it was part of the um, it wasn't part of the public school. So she went to a collaborative program because they didn't have like they had special education rooms, but they didn't have any experience with like severe autism. So like they couldn't have um, you know handled her. So she went to a collaborative program um, and she got speech therapy there, occupational therapy, physical therapy. It wasn't like they didn't have ABA centers the way they do now, but they they used ABA principles, so they she still got the behavioral therapy. It was just mixed in with the school day. Um, and then as she got mm-hmm. older, you know, we you know ebbed and flowed. Like she kind of would get better for a while, and then you know things would get hard again. And then you know probably in her teen years, she started kind of settling down and um, you know just becoming a lot calmer, a lot less behavioral. Um, and then she was still nonverbal, um, and even up until her teens, she didn't even really have any sounds. She could always say the word no, um, conveniently. That was the one word that was, (laughs) she was able to say. (laughs) Um, right. And then right around the time that she was, um, transitioning out of school, which was here in Massachusetts as 22, um, right about 21, like and a half, she just started, um, I don't know, she started becoming a lot more aware and then you heard sounds coming and approximation and she actually started saying words which she's you know never done you know uh, prior to this you know sometimes she could repeat something and get it right but like then the next time you asked her to say it she couldn't so it was never anything that was consistent um, and then she started repeating and uh, you know she's still nonverbal. of course she's not talking but like she has probably, you know, probably like 20 words, probably like 20 or 30 approximations. So she's made a ton of progress in the past two years. Um, so it's just kind of interesting because at 18, 19, if they haven't talked by then, you're kind of, 
you know, not thinking it's going to happen pretty much. And, um, yep, she surprised us a lot in, uh, in, in she's really progressed in a lot of other ways too. Like she's become so much more aware, so much more in tune to things. She's able to just understand so much, um, really interacting and becoming involved, you know, with the family more, with the, with the other kids more and really trying to like insert herself. Um, so yeah, so that's pretty much her in a nutshell. I think it's so um, inspiring that you said at 21, she started speaking because a lot of parents, um, I thought if he didn't talk by he by the time he was four, we were never gonna hear his voice. I was so fixated on, he needs to be talking by his fourth birthday. And I don't know why, it was just my, what I made up in my head. And I see a lot of parents that say, if they're not talking by seven or eight, it's never gonna happen. And like you said, she surprised you. Yep. And and I think one of the things, and I was the same way, like I was like, okay, in my mind, like she was going to be fine by five. <laughs> I don't know how this was going to happen, but that's what, you know, I was like, well, she'll probably catch up by kindergarten, you know? Um, and then obviously that didn't happen. And then I was like, well, maybe she'll start talking, you know, when she's seven or eight, I, you know, we've heard these stories and then, you know, all the people, the therapists are kind of like, oh, she doesn't like, she'll never be able to understand words. Like, she'll you know never talk you know all these different things and um and obviously as she got older it it became less less important I think when they're younger it's the one huge thing that sets them apart from everybody else because you know they don't always look like there's something going on with them you know and sometimes you wouldn't know you wouldn't know right away but when you have a child who doesn't talk it's just like a big target sign that like you know is saying that there's something wrong and I, I feel like that's a struggle for a lot of parents because you know, I've had people in our family go, she's fine. She's perfectly normal, except she doesn't talk. <laughs> and we're like, well, <laughs> it does appear that way sometimes. Right. But, you know, obviously there's all the other things that go with it. But, um, yeah, and then I right. feel like you start realizing, like, you know, as time goes on, you just kind of, you know, you just kind of adjust. It doesn't become as important, you know, until something happens where, like, she's sick or she could be hurt. Like, those are the times that I'm like, I just wish she could let us know what's wrong. I just... You know, that's probably the thing, you know, we hate the most about it because I'm always afraid that there's, you know, there's going to be something wrong and she's not going to be able to tell us. Um, but outside of those times, it's like you kind of, you know, not forget about it, but you kind of do. You just kind of, it just becomes your new normal, basically, I think is what happens. Right. And I think um, our our friend Cheryl, who we all share um, as a mutual friend, said, um, they don't have to talk to communicate. And a lot of new parents are so focused on that talking, and I was too, that we forget that there's so much more to communication. How did she communicate? So him? obviously she communicated non-verbally. So she would start with, um, you know, it's like funny because people always say that. And I'm always like, well, it's the same way you communicate with a toddler. Like, you know, like when you're, you're a mom to a one or a two-year-old, you have ways of figuring out what they want. So she would she started with... Um, she would like pull your hand towards things she wanted or she would like gesture she couldn't point right away um but she would do things like she'd go over and slap the fridge you know what i mean so that gave you the point of she wants something in the fridge um then we started right. with um they started you know got her to point and then they started with the pecs but she, she's just so stubborn like she ne she never really took to sign like she would do more just to get something she wanted and then that's kind of all she would do. Mm -hmm. um, and the pecs would be the same thing. She would do right. enough to get what she needed, 
and then she really wouldn't do it mm-hmm. she did much better at school though so at school she did much better um but you just kind of I feel like you just go through the thing like because she's like really upset and say we were out somewhere it's like okay does she have to go to the bathroom is she hungry is she thirsty like you kind of just go through those things and it's usually one of those things that are you know upset it would be upsetting her so um and you just become very in tune with your child when you have a child that's nonverbal. like you just have to really know their cues and you know just kind of watch you just kind of watch the little things and you just kind of you know you just kind of learn just like you would you know would do, do with a younger child um and then at 16, she got the speech device. It wasn't available too much before that, but the problem is, like, she didn't use a speech device for 16 years. Like, it's not like getting a five-year-old to use it. You know, she's already set in her way, and she did wonderful at school with it, but she would never do it at home. And she just would never, like, the once she took it out of her bag, she'd put it right back in, and I think she really associated it with, like, work. You know, that's, like, at right. school, at home, I mean, she was 16. I already could figure out what she wanted. Like, she didn't need to, you know, use right. a speech device. But when she left school and went into adult services, which are just, it's a very different scenario than school, um, she didn't want to use it, so they didn't push it. Because they said she, you know, it's against her human rights to make her use it. Um, right. And they don't, you know, they have a lot of kids. The teachers, they're not special education teachers. There's no speech therapist there. So it's kind of like... So then I was like, well, what am I going to do now? Because she's been using it now for six years. I don't want her to lose all that progress, you know, of being able to use it. So I went on the hunt to try to find a speech therapist that would accept adults, which wasn't the easiest because everyone accepts children up to 18, up to 21, up to 22. Um, and I did end up finding a speech therapist that was willing to take her. Um, and they've been working on her speech device with her since then. And really her language is also, I think, doing this has like exploded because it's the visual of seeing the picture hearing the sound and then I'm working with her a lot more at home so I just think it's like all that consistency and her just being I don't know if her brain is in like a growth spurt or what it was but I just think the combination of everything really just like you know and everything just kept I mean just so many things that she never did before like being able to ask for things like just being able to understand retaining information like I feel like she didn't really retain information before like learning type of stuff and now she seems to be able to do that so um yeah that was just mm-hmm. our kind of journey with communication and you know we're still tr- I'm still trying to get her to use the device she actually she actually used it last night she's had a really tough couple of days and um she took it and then she was telling me that everything hurt um probably because she was doing a lot of um I call them drama drops so she kind of drops to the ground and like will roll but she's been doing a lot of them um and Mm -hmm. she said you know toe hurts leg hurts she said skin hurts muscle hurts which she's never even used those words on the device ever so i think she's just sore and she doesn't even know like what and she's never done that she's never done it where she'll like kind of just do it on her own so that was that was uh pretty surprising actually um but yeah so we're still we're still trying to work we're still trying to get her to use the device um Sometimes she kind of makes up her own, not really sign language, but gestures. Like she'll she'll try to almost like act out what she's trying to say if you can't understand her. Because she she does have a praxis, mm-hmm. so even though she's saying words, sometimes it if it's out of context, it's hard to kind of you know figure out what what she's saying. So right, um, but yeah, right. R. Jackson also has a praxia. And looking back at his early speech videos now, where we were celebrating every sound 
because we know that apraxia is there now and we didn't before, I can see how labored and how hard even just those short sounds were yeah. for him. But, but I didn't recognize it then, but I know now why it was so hard. Speech was just hard and painful yeah. for him. And I see it when she does her speech mm-hmm. therapy. Cause sometimes she'll verbalize, but then other times she'll go for the device because it's like almost easier. Um, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's almost like, I mean, it would be like concentrating on a, a really difficult math problem. Like you can almost hear like looking up, like trying to concentrate and trying to retrieve the word to like, you know, either say it or show us. And, and you can see how much effort um, it takes her, you know. Right. Katie, your um, Avery, what does he use for communication? Avery actually started off kind of the beginning of our journey. He started off with using sign language and just actual physical PEX cards and putting them on a board and a chart he had and then kind of like a little book that uh, had Velcro on it. Some of the PEX um, cards had Velcro in it would honestly just come with us when we would, you know, go to the city or go, you know, out somewhere together as a family. And then, you know, we actually kind of moved away from all of that, even though he still to this day uses um, a little bit of sign, like more all done, uh, please, things like that. But um, he had actually then ended up going and transferring into using a device and using uh, Prologo to go. And that actually worked out really, really well. The thing we were struggling with um, with that was that he would use it very well at home and out, you know, with his respite worker, things like that. But getting him to use it at school was a whole other ball game, really. Uh, he didn't want to. And, you know, he kind of didn't have I guess the consistency at school that he needed to be using it because I think really when he was in that school environment the school staff you know knew what he wanted or knew what he was asking for so it wasn't necessarily um, always you know redirected as okay let's use your device to ask or this is what we do and let's get your device out Um, so there was times like he would go to school and he you know, would go the whole week and not be using his device. And then, you know, then he kind of started not wanting to use it at home a little bit and and things like that. But um, now since we've been home for the last good stretch here um, of this year, you know, really and truly he hasn't overly been using his device a lot. Um, He actually ended up starting to talk a little bit. So he's now saying words uh, like five five word sentences, ten word sentences, um, always the same, and then just changing out some of the words. So it's usually always a sentence that starts with "I want," and then um, usually ends in like "Please, mom." So the word that changes is always the third word in the sentence um, when they're a five word five word sentence. So um, he he's doing very well, but I was I guess in the same. Uh, situation as both you and Kim where I had this idea or this you know nobody really told me I was like you guys I made it up in my head I was like you know if he doesn't talk by like six that's it like 
we're never going to hear his voice. Like he's never going to say anything. And the one actual thing that he did say always really was no. Like he said it in a happy voice. He said it in an aggressive voice. No was his word um, that he used in more ways than one. But, um, you know, and and then just magically kind of in, in a weird situation with, you know, us losing therapy and, and losing routine and losing um, him being able to go to school this year. Uh, then he finally decided to start talking. So I don't know if it was the lack of maybe the lack of pressure and the lack of that he had so we had so much on our plate and such an intense schedule all the time that he finally got to breathe in a sense that there was this almost I felt anyways that there was this weight and expectation taken off of him and I don't know for sure if that's what it was but I feel that way that all of a sudden he started started talking um but you know there's always part of me that is kind of waiting for him to stop talking for him to lose that skill because we've just seen too many times uh with Avery in our own journey that he can only retain so much and hold so much um, information and skills and knowledge. And when he gains a new skill or he gains a new uh, piece of language, he usually loses something. So we're just kind of waiting to see what comes next, which is definitely hard. I think what you said and what Kim said, um, where there was this state of overwhelm and then once our ch- our children weren't in the state of overwhelm, we saw their skills develop. And I and we don't do it intentionally, but we think we have to, you know, do the therapy and do the school and make sure we're doing extra practice at home and all of these things that we don't um, often have time to breathe. And it's out of the best intention, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is but it is what happens because we get so wrapped up in bigger and better and bigger and better I think Mm -hmm. no I I agree and I think that you know with our kids having such you know strict schedules be it with feeding or or speech and just therapy in general you know you almost get well for us I want to say we got kind of tunnel vision it was like this is all the things we're doing and let's just go to the next thing and the next thing because we would see Avery make progress and it's like well we don't want to leave the tunnel we we don't want him to you know um get too much you know free time on the iPad just you know watching YouTube we don't want him you know doing just a whole bunch of free play we want to like really work on like all, all the things that we're doing in therapy and, and constantly doing that all the time. And I think that for us, it really was too much on Avery. We were trying to cram all these things in to this, you know, this little boy in the best intentions and, and wanting the best for him and wanting him to live his best life and, and learn and develop and grow. But it was too much. And then when we kind of had to take a few steps back this year and not have such an intense schedule and and not, you know, have therapy and supports in place for him, it was really weird. But, you know, we actually seen him grow more this year with having uh, no support and no help. Um, you know, outside resources coming in and and resources in the education um, sector that this boy started, you know, talking and and started putting like different types of shoes on um, unprompted by himself. 
uh, just all of these little things that we partially took for granted. And then also we're just like, this is amazing. This is amazing that you were doing all of these things and we couldn't be happier. But, you know, I think us, just like a lot of other families, you know, we're always just waiting for the next hard. Like this is a win for us that Avery's talking and, and doing, you know, certain different skills he's picked up and and different um words you know being able to communicate but we're waiting for the next you know the next hard which is always scary because i know when we are on a really big high in life with avery and things are going very very well and it goes for quite a long period of time usually something hard comes after be it regression or be it just um losing losing skills and not um not having the best week or the best month yeah and i, I feel like um when that mm-hmm. happens it's even harder you know like when you're going through the hard every day even though it's hard it, it, it you're used to it it's just what it is but when things go good for a long time and then mm-hmm. they drop it's almost like it's kind of like you crash with them in a way Yes. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. So Kim, it is heartbreaking. Kim, you also said um, that there weren't speech therapists, there weren't enough speech therapists. Um, And I feel like Katie with um, Avery's speech device, that that's the perfect example. There would be weeks where he wasn't using his device because there wasn't enough support staff to make sure that was happening. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And there truly is a shortage of support staff. We've seen it time and time again with occupational therapists and behavior therapists. And um, we've had really great therapists that just have had to move on. And the shortage is never over, I feel. Well, and I'm not sure about exactly um, necessarily what your shortage looks like in your uh, area, Amanda, or same with Kim, but our area you know really we were i want to say that we were set up really well to uh, to a certain degree where we live in our province we live in saskatchewan where we had quite a few speech therapists we had quite a few occupational therapists um in the education sector and then also private and you know where we live If you are a speech therapist and you work in the education uh, sector, you do not get paid well. And for a lot of speech therapists and and some that we, you know, uh, dealt with directly for our kids or then other families that we had dealt with in the past, you know, they didn't want to be working a full week and then work all weekend and then, you know, work early in the morning. Like they didn't want to put in Um, triple you know amount of time because they were getting burnt out there there was such a need and for their you know for their support and and they had to help all of these kids and it was just so much that they weren't getting paid well so why do that so for a lot of them and this is really just something that's happened in like the last you know two and a half three years here that a lot of them left the education sector and went to the private sector because if you do that up here you get paid a lot more money you kind of you're your own boss you can make your own hours you can charge what you want um it's actually a lot better um for a lot of people that are in that profession and you know 
it really left now this huge hole and gigantic mess in all of our, you know, all of our schools and everything, because there are so many kids that have, you know, not even just autism, you know, have something else going on or have, you know, apraxia. There's, there's so many things and they need support. They need help and they need to have access to those services and there's nobody there for them. So they, they simply go without. And that is the hardest thing about not only having a child that needs that support, but then also knowing families that live all over the map where we live and and surrounding us that their children are just they just don't matter they just you know they don't get support they don't get help and it really really sucks because I feel like they were never given a chance and some of these kids I think if they were given a chance and given you know some support some direction some help and some therapy you don't know what they are capable of doing that's the thing Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Kim, I know that Alyssa enjoys baking, mm-hmm. right? What are some of her other interests? Um, this is a tough one. So, her biggest interest is the iPad. <laughs> that's what. Mm-hmm. That's what she that's spends common. a lot of her time mm-hmm. doing. Um, is just being on the iPad, and she watches various things on YouTube, plays games, different stuff like that. Um, you, she's very prompt dependent, so it's hard because she won't just go in like to an activity. You kind of have to like, you know, ask her if she wants to do it and all that. So she, I mean, she likes to color. She likes arts mm-hmm. and crafts. Um, she likes she likes to bake. She likes to help. I feel like she likes to feel like she has a purpose, you know. So when you ask her, to, you know, sometimes she'll help with the laundry. Like, I'll just like fold the clothes and she'll like put them away, stuff like that. She really likes doing stuff like that. I just think it makes her feel you know just makes her feel good um but it is hard because she's prompt dependent so she kind of just she'll kind of sometimes she'll just like be standing in the kitchen or somewhere and you're like you know what I mean she's just like standing there looking at you and you're like like do you need something you know right Um, and she knows exactly what she wants so sometimes she gets a little irritated when you're you're not getting what she wants because she knows she knows what she wants but um, sometimes it takes us a few minutes to kind of like figure it out but um and we're trying to uh, encourage right. her to we're trying to break the prompt dependency but I mean it will it will take years um, I think because of COVID we were able to break the prompt dependency of her not leaving the table like she would just sit at the table when she was done eating and if you like weren't paying attention she'd just sit there for 20 minutes like with no food and just wait for you to see mm-hmm. she waits for that cue so um sometimes that's hard she likes yeah. to be out I mean when it's not COVID and you can kind of go places um she likes to go out in the community she likes to go for walks um she loves the zoo that's like one of her favorite places um you know stuff like that she does well um if we go out to eat you know stuff like that mm-hmm. I love that that's great um what was it like trying to find support before things like Facebook and Coop's Troop where we all met uh, yeah so existed. like that was really hard um they really you'd have to go to like an in-person support group but like for me like that just didn't work because a I have four children you know I have her she's my second I have two younger that, that were younger than her you know so at one point I had you know I could they could have been like two four nine and twelve you know what I mean like I didn't I couldn't really leave the house to go to a support group and then 
there wasn't just a lot of kids like her you know she's just her autism is very interesting it's mm-hmm. like she's severe in some ways but then in other ways she's she's happy she's so happy like she like loves to be out so it's like it's really hard to find people that could really relate because they were either you know either mm-hmm. they are verbal or they're like you know m- you know much more behavioral than her or I mean, no girls. You never saw any girls with autism then. Like, so I just didn't really... I mean, I was really blessed with family support. Um, I was really lucky to have um, a really supportive family. My dad, like, adored her. He was her... Mm-hmm. She was his favorite out of all the grandkids. Like, they had a very social ball. And, like, he thought, you know what I mean? The sun rose on her. And he was all kind of like, she'll just mm-hmm. talk when she wants. Like, she don't got anything to say to you people, you know? Which I know some people are offended by that. But, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wasn't. It was just the way my dad was. And he just loved her so much. And she, like, loved him and really responded to him. And my husband's mother, my mom, our siblings, like, everybody was supportive. And everybody kind of knew the deal with her. It's like, you let her do her thing and that's just how it is and i mean majority of, of the people that are in our close-knit circle were always really good so like that was very helpful um for us obviously that's mm-hmm. really helpful for anybody but i didn't ha- really have support outside of that you know so i didn't really have people that could relate to um even now like i don't really know anybody like in my area or anything that has um you know has a girl has the nonverbal, you know, it's just, you know, so it wasn't until like, um, really I started going into finding adult services that I started seeking out support, like through Facebook and stuff like that, just because that was just a really hard time for me. Um, you know, really stressful. Mm -hmm. And like, then I kind of started, you know, Googling and that's when I found, um, Kate and finding Cooper's voice. And then that led me to all you guys. And, you know, now we, we can be also, um, inspiration for other people and knowledge for other people, which, you know, I love cause that fills my cup. And, you know, although I'm not saying it's perfect, like she's a lot easier than she was and, you know, able to show people that like, you know, it's not, it's not the end of the world. It's not, you know what I mean? She has a happy life. Mm-hmm. She brings me so much joy and happiness. I mean, when she's not rolling around the floor, <laughs> But, you know, she really does. But she, she is so attached to you, um, just from what I've seen. Like, you're her person. Yeah, she, well, yeah. And she's not, she's really attached to her dad, too. It's like, I feel like she goes to us for different things. Like, she goes to him for certain things, and then she goes to me for certain things. Um, and mm-hmm. she, you know, loves her siblings and stuff, too. She's, as they're getting older, they're kind of taking on a more caretaker-type role with her. Um, you know, because they're 16 mm-hmm. and 18 now. So she's also kind of, you know, slowly kind of going. I see her going towards my 16-year-old a little bit more than she used to. But yeah, she's just, and she's so lovable. She's so sweet. Like, she's funny. Like, she thinks she's hilarious. Like, you know, <laughs> and she laughs all the time. Like, um, you know, we do have hard times now and again. Um, like the past couple of days, I don't know. If something that weird is in the air, but I feel like all the kids are having a hard time, everyone I talk to, but, um, and her big thing is she doesn't sleep well. So sometimes if she's really tired, then that will, um, you know, set the tone. Yeah. yeah but sleep controls our behavior, our communication, our sleep controls our life here. Um, we are always fighting the battle of sleep. Yep. I mean, I'm to the point where like, she's kind of Okay. Like, I can lay down and go to sleep if she's still awake, as long as she's, like, in her room. Um, 
-hmm. but yeah for a long time I couldn't do that so I had to be awake with her and then I had to be awake with the younger kids when they woke up so I literally like just didn't sleep for years and now I still don't sleep and I work yep and I work full time so um yeah (laughs) it's 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 such a um you've said it before where our journeys are all different we all have clarities um and I think sleep is a big one yeah our kids being able to sleep I know Katie does too yes definitely and our issue has never been a hard thing it is our issue has never been getting Jackson to sleep it's been keeping him asleep is our issue and her issue was falling asleep she's just always had a really hard time falling asleep and she could lay there for hours Mm -hmm. she could take her three hours or four hours usually usually when she's asleep she does have some times where she just is, wakes up all through the night um, randomly, but most of the time, once she's asleep, she's fine. But then you have school in the morning, so now she could go mm-hmm. to sleep at three thirty, four o'clock, and you're, you know, waking her up at seven, and she's not too thrilled about that. Um, so that's where like a lot of her behaviors come because she's tired, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah. And it was worse when she was younger. So Kim, did you? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Did you have to take the steps for guardianship? Yep. We. Can you talk about that a little bit? We've been, we've been to conferences and heard about it and I need to put on our calendar for the future, but it isn't something I know a lot about. Yep. Um, it's obviously different in every state. Um, but here, what you do is usually around 17, you start the process. Um, we have to go, we had to go to court. You have to file paperwork to, um, do the guardianship and depending on like because she's severe it wasn't a hard process for us it was nobody to contest it she's obvi- obviously can't contest it um so they they open up the paperwork and then they mail, mail you a bunch of papers and then you have to do like a notification process so you have to like notify her and like everybody in the household that you're gonna uh, apply for guardianship and then you have to notify um, the department of um, developmental disabilities that you're going to apply and they actually help you with the process so you have to get a psychology a psychologist to um, meet with you and her and because we had already had the psychological testing done because they do it every three years here when they're in school she, it's like the West Westla four or something like that yep. she already had that done um, so they just use the, they use those results and then we had to meet with a social worker but then it got tricky because you have to you have to meet with them within 60 days and within 30 days you have to go to the physician and get the physician to sign off on the paper and there's just like all the stuff that you have to fill out like on what they can do and what they can't do and um you know it's kind of cut and dry when you have somebody who's you know not independent and needs help doing a lot of things right. um but then like we like we messed up the process so you're supposed to like mail it back within 14 days and we didn't so then we had to like start the whole process all over again so um so then we did that and you know and then we were granted guardianship we just basically checked a box that it would be like undue stress for her to have to come to the we actually didn't even have to go to court they just granted it to us but sometimes you'll have to go to court um stand in front of a judge and then basically they'll either grant it for you or not grant it for you but there's also certain things like if they're on an antipsychotic it's a little trickier because um you have to have like another person involved she's not so we didn't have to worry about that part of it um and then like if there's like i think if they have like a lot of money we don't have money she doesn't have money so we don't have to worry about that so it's, it's like a con something else a convert con, i don't know what it's called um 
section but yes that's what it is um <laughs> but like we weren't doing that so you just have to like disclose all that information basically mm. and um it, it was it was like a lengthy process because you have to like do all the meeting with the people and all that stuff but um we were able to have her sign a paper saying that like we were in charge until because she can like sign her name even though she doesn't know what she's signing but um you know she was able to sign a paper letting us saying we had permission to be in charge of her until the guardianship went through so did you start that process when she was 17 so that it was done by the time she was 18 or no i did not i did it we started it at 18. okay um and then, and then we got what... it when she was like 20 when we got it gotcha and then what was it like transitioning from um i guess childhood so school age to adulthood adult services so that was pretty rough. Um, so obviously I was always told like the adult world, world looks very different, you know, programs look very different, but like I never really understood what that meant. Um, you know, I just knew she'd be eligible to go to a program and hours and stuff are similar to school. It's a similar looking day. And there's two different programs, yeah, that they qualify for. One is a community-based program which would be like I would like bring her to and they would do like you know kind of some social things and stuff like that or there's what you call a day hab which would be for more severe um you know somebody who's more severe and needs more supports and there you get you know they pick you up they bring you there bring you home a lot more similar to like school but like it's not school it's a day hab and it's very very different um when I went and looked at the day hab so the way in here it is her insurance pays for it but you can only go to places that are connected to your town. So you can only kind of go one town out in each direction. Mm -hmm. um, so you're kind of basically stuck to the places that are in your area. Um, and some of the places did not look like I would, I would never send her. Like they were basically like nursing homes, but just with all ages and the, all ages mixed in. It's not like they're all her age there you know there could be people that are 80 70 like people with mental disorders severe physical handicaps not just autism and autism like disabilities it's a whole mixed bag so that was really mm -hmm. hard i was like really upset i remember calling my husband and i was like, crying like um and he of course thought i was being dramatic and um i kind of whittled down the places and then he came again to look at them and he was i mean he had tears in his eyes he goes he was like this is horrible and i'm like mm -hmm. it, it really was i mean we went to one place and there was a lady like hanging on a swing from a door frame in a closet like it was just it's almost like it can't be real um i'm not saying right. that any of these places are even bad but they're just not a place that i would want her in, you know what i mean um, right right and then there's like two places that are a little bit better but then of course everybody wants to go to those two places and they kind of cherry pick um who they take so now you have to apply for a place and get accepted it's not even as easy to be like oh i want this place um so it's a, it's a pretty daunting process uh, it's very stressful mm -hmm. so um we did find a place that was i had liked because of the fact that um it's a newer location so there's a lot of younger clients so um you know they're like younger because it was only only open for 10 years so uh -huh. um, and you can stay in these places like you don't have to leave them so you can stay in them or like you could you know switch you know when you say you're 40 or 50 you didn't fit into a place you switch to another place but also um so she gets a speech consult and like another consult but like 
they present it to mean more than it actually does. Like there's nobody mm-hmm. there doing that like during the day. Like there's just a person who's like on staff that like can like consult, but like I don't see any evidence of that at all. Um, right. I mean, her place does pre-COVID obviously like they went out in the community they went bowling once a month they go to the store and do a cooking group like it's not like it's a bad place like obviously wouldn't have her in a bad place but the staff are not special education people they don't have to have college degrees which doesn't mean everything and like I obviously realize that I mean I run a daycare so you kind of think of a daycare for adults is basically what it is um, nobody, there's right. no speech therapist, there's no psychologist, like there's, you know, a caseworker who like runs the place and like another person, but like the people that are with the kids are not, um, they're not qualified the way they are when they're in school. Right. It's just a very, right. very different, um, and for me, she started making all this progress. I mean, she started saying words, she's learning all this stuff and now, now she's not, now she's losing teachers, she's losing therapist like so that was really hard for me to kind of deal with because especially the fact that I was like I don't know how long she's going to be in this um learning spout like and it just kind of really seemed unfair and it it just doesn't really make sense because just because she turns 22 like it's not it's just a number for her like it doesn't really mean anything um you know when you have a child or a person who's severe their age doesn't mean anything she's 24 but she's not like a 24 year old she's more like you're like a younger teenager probably if i was gonna like average out all her skills you know um i mean she can be sassy right (laughs) but like she's not you know her age doesn't really (laughs) her age doesn't really mean much so um you know it's very um disheartening um here in massachusetts there's a lot of programs for um higher functioning autism there's a lot of programs that would help with getting housing getting work which is great like that's great but like it's just not there's nothing for her category you know um and a lot of the day haps are really just not optimal either um i mean i think we're really lucky with her place that they, they do do a lot like they have an art room and an exercise room and um they but they don't like um they have like a um it's i think it's an isp so it's like similar yeah. to an mm-hmm. IEP, but it's actually not similar at all. But like they have like three goals that she would have. And, um, you know, I was talking about her talking and they're like, well, we can't make her use her communication device. And I'm like, but that's how you can communicate with her. And they're like, yep, yeah, but right. it goes against human rights. She can't be forced. And I'm like, but you're taking away your ability to communicate with her. You know, it's not yeah. about her want- not wanting to use it. It's about, you know, you're taking away her voice. Um, and they're like that's just the way it is and i was like well do they try to get her to talk and they're like um no like you know like how you know they're like no that like we don't really do that at this point like usually it's kind of um you know folks are just life skills maybe um is it life skills the isp or uh she has like a communication goal and like two other goals like so one of her goals is to like write like um on a little piece of paper just to practice like like what she did for that day um mm-hmm. i forget what her communication one is but it's not like it's nothing like what it, it would be in an iep and when i was like right what do you mean you don't try to get them to talk like that didn't make sense to me like i mean i work at a daycare i naturally try to get kids to talk you know like when you're talking to a little kid you just kind of do it 
And they're like, Derek just kind of like, yeah, um, you know, usually at this point, it's kind of, they don't do that. I'm just like, yeah, cool. I mean, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Right. And I think obviously like her, her teacher could um, choose to do that, like if she wanted to, but it's like not something that they like are required to do or are, you know, trained to do. Right. Right. So that was, that was hard. It's just something else that, like we had all said, we put this imaginary age on, and I feel like they're they're also putting an imaginary age on it. Absolutely, exactly. That's exactly what it is, and it's like they just decide that this is going to be the age, and it like yeah doesn't even make sense. Yeah, I agree. So, Kim, what would your advice be for new parents um, who may have just received a diagnosis or? just are starting um, to look for services or supports or just starting school, what do you wish that they knew that you knew then? Um, my, I mean, the biggest thing is just to love your child. You know, they're the same child they were yesterday. They're the same child they were last week. Like, do not get stuck on the label, any of the labels. Um, do not let anybody limit your child. Do not let anybody tell you that your child will never do this we'll never do that nobody knows you don't know they don't know um I'm always a big believer in expectations so I feel like if you have low expectations then you're not going to get a lot out of them you have to expect Mm -hmm. um that they understand more that there's more that's going on in there and um and you'll get you'll get more back I think to me that's like that's one of the the biggest things and obviously early intervention I think is key um depending on the age of your child like you're, if you can get into early intervention, pre-diagnosis, I feel like you, your services that you will get will be a lot better and a lot easier to um, achieve because you'll already have those kind of connections made and people that can do the referrals and all that stuff. And, and don't wait. Like if you see red flags, you know, just they try to make me wait. You know, um, they try to tell us, oh, we'll wait till she's two. We wait, we'll wait till she's two. And um you know, finally we were like, no, we don't want to wait till she's two. (laughs) Like, I mean, she was like 22 months, so she was pretty much almost two anyways. But, um, yeah, like don't wait, you know, better to, you know, get them checked out and and see what's going on and have it not be anything than wait and have it of, you know, have it be something and then, you know, lose, lose time for therapy and, you know, education and all that stuff. And find your tribe. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Kim, thank you so much. Um, Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. You have so much, um, so much knowledge and so much to share. I don't know why Katie and I are doing the podcast because you could run one uh, for weeks on end with all the things that you know, and I'm so appreciative of you for sharing that with us. Yep, we have a Facebook page. Can you page, let people know um, where they can find you on Adventures social media, Kim, if they'd like to learn more about um, your journey? You can find us on Instagram under the same name. Um, and we will have a blog up and running on website soon, probably within the next couple of weeks. With the same, it will be the same name. Wonderful. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining.